The Start On Demand. On demand. Whole Foods tells its employees you can't wear a poppy. We suspect that's a policy that's going to change very quickly. We got a lot of feedback today on the struggles our teachers are facing during this pandemic. Donald Trump launches a baseless attack on democracy in the United States of America. And it's National Nacho Day. How do you like your nachos? Cheese sauce? Melted cheese? Or both? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, November 6th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb. It is Friday. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. I am very happy that it is Friday and I am hoping that we can go into the weekend knowing what is going to happen with the election uh, because U.S. President Donald Trump stepped before the television cameras last evening to address the results so far in the American presidential election. I didn't see this. I was watching something. I think I was watching The Amazing Race or something, and then I got a text message from Loren saying, Did you just see this? Did you just see Donald Trump? That's how I imagined you, because I, I imagined you were kind of raging. Loren, was I... Uh... I I have to be honest, actually, Brett, and I, and that's fair, because that's often how I think my texts sound in the brain. <laughs> And so I'm not upset by that. I, I don't even, it wasn't anger. I was, I was so bothered by the president of the United States for now coming forward and standing there for, for a good 16 minutes in what was clearly something he was reading off. It was a prepared statement, which is so unusual for him, but uh, clearly thought out to stand there and not just question the validity of the votes, to use language like illegal votes, which is not a thing. That's not what's happening with these mail-in ballots, to tell people that they shouldn't trust what they're seeing, to question everything behind the election. I, I was disturbed and quite frankly, saddened that we have gotten to this point in that country that A, he gets to stand there and talk like that, and B, basically is calling for his supporters to rise up. His words were dangerous, deplorable, despicable. I don't, I, I, but I was saddened last night, Greg, watching that because I felt sick for how far it, he has fallen. He's actually put these thoughts pen to paper. A lot of times you can excuse or you just sort of brush off his comments because he's going off the cuff and that he's freestyling. No, like you said, he read these. So these were very well thought out. And Trump made a series of, no other way to put it, unfounded and outright false allegations about voter fraud. As Brett, as you mentioned, we've got these several states continuing to count ballots uh, days after the election. And Trump at the White House... He accused Democratic candidate Joe Biden and his partying of stealing or trying to steal the election. And, of course, he's casting doubt on the legitimacy of mail-in ballots, as he says, as they seem to magically have appeared. And how is it that they are overwhelmingly cast for nobody but the former vice president, which isn't true either? No, Which I challenge... Joe and every Democrat to clarify that they only want legal votes because they talk about votes and I think they should use the word legal, legal votes. We want every legal vote counted and I want every legal vote counted. We want openness and transparency, no secret count rooms, no mystery ballots, no illegal votes being cast after election day. You have election day and the laws are very strong on that. You have an election day. And they don't want votes cast after Election Day. And they want the process to be an honest one. It's so important. We want an honest election. We want an honest count. And we want honest people working back there because it's a very important job. This is something the president has set the table for for months now. He encouraged his supporters to vote in person. 
Joe Biden did mostly the opposite. And a lot of people decided because of COVID-19 to take advantage of mail-in ballots. And Trump also said, quote, this is a case where they're trying to steal an election. They're trying to rig an election and we can't let that happen. Providing zero evidence of the of the alleged action. And uh, yeah, I've got another clip here for you as uh, Donald Trump is complaining that states where he was leading on election night are now all of a sudden, suddenly showing a far smaller gap between himself and Joe Biden, including Georgia, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. The officials overseeing the counting in Pennsylvania and other key states are all part of a corrupt Democrat machine. The president suggested the Supreme Court would intervene, even though it has so far refused to take on cases related to the election. We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof, and it's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. We'll see. But we think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen by like this. So this morning, Biden moved ahead of Trump in the state of Georgia, and Trump's lead, Loren, in uh, Pennsylvania continues to shrink. Yeah, and you could see that slow march towards that yesterday. And listen, he... When he says things like that, some people are inclined to think like, oh, what an idiot, you know, or why is he talking like that? He knows he knows very well what he's doing. To me, that was the the, 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 the part of, that I really struggled with last night. He knows that when he stands up there and he says th- things and uses words like illegal, which is not what mail-in ballots are, when he uses words about uh, fraud and concerns over the honesty of an election, he knows he's rallying up his base. And, and he knows darn well what he's saying, that it's going to get reaction and that people aren't going to be able to cut through the rhetoric or won't, won't, won't know how or maybe ha- won't have it explained to them. But bottom line, he knows that the mail-in ballots were going to be largely in Joe Biden's favor because Democrats use that, as you said, Greg. So he knew that the, the tide could possibly turn if those votes were in large numbers, and they are. And further to that, the Republicans have had great success in the Senate and in the House of Representatives. Like They did well everywhere else except for when it comes to him, he knows that, and he's just using those words as a tool to get everybody going. And that, to me, is the sickest part about it all, because this could really go to a dangerous place if this isn't dealt with soon. Donald Trump, in this election, has received more votes for President of the United States in the history of that country, except for one other person, and that's the person he's running against this year. So to suggest that you can, on one hand, have almost 70 million votes, an unprecedented number other than the number of votes that Joe Biden has, almost 73 million votes. You mentioned Congress. You mentioned the Senate. If the Democrats were finding a way to fix this election, don't you think they would have done a better job? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is National Nacho Day. Gabrielle Marchand from Global News Morning delivered this good news. She's going to join us after Global News at 9 for a weekly Gab with Gabby. And that got us thinking just about nachos, quite frankly. So we're going to have a conversation about nachos. We've got Jeff Braun here, Kelly Moore here, Jeff Fortier. And uh, Jeff Fortier, let's start with you. How do you like your nachos? Do you prefer cheese sauce or melted cheese? I honestly, <laughs> I like both. I like a good cheese sauce, but then again, I depending on my mood, I guess. Yeah, is really what it's about. Yeah, for me, the melted cheese is good if I, if the nachos can be consumed quickly. Absolutely, I, I find that when the the cheese gets like really dry and crusty, Loren, that's where I kind of uh, don't like it anymore. I get annoyed when the big plate of nachos comes out. And the cheese is not even melted. Has it ever happened to you? You know, the plate comes out and the cheese is uh, on top, looks nice. And then you get to the middle and it's basically this cold pile. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but this is actually the meal that I would choose if I were to be on death row, God forbid, someday. It would be nachos. Really? And I love them. Oh, I love them. <laughs> and my husband always laughs because, you know, for birthdays, like, what can I get you for your birthday? And it's so easy for him. He just has to get some chips and some cheese. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great stuff. What a meal. And I, I think it's the greatest meal ever. But I'm very picky as a result about what gets used and what doesn't. 
Okay, that's interesting. Death Row Meals with Loren McNabb. Maybe that's another topic. I think we've done uh, that before. Yes. I think we've done that before, but uh, we should do it again. I don't remember doing oh. that. Yeah, I think oh. we've done something like that. Happy Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kelly, what about you? What, what do you have to say about nachos? Oh, I love nachos. Uh, and... Uh, you know, McNabb, if you didn't whine and moan and groan, people would have time to leave them in the oven for enough, uh, long enough to uh, to melt the, the setter part too. But um, you know what? I love them, especially when they're just a little charred on the side of the, the plate and the uh, the chips are just slightly burnt and the the shredded cheese is just slightly crackly. Oh, man. But put a little bit of... Uh, uh, salsa and my wife makes homemade salsa, so uh, that's our uh, preferred choice. And and shredded cheese, uh, none of that uh, death by uh, uh, mixed cheese sauce in the jar, and uh, some sour cream. Okay, <laughs> Jeff Braun. Jalapenos. Oh, jalapenos. No, I'm no, not picky I, at all. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's go to yeah. Jeff because Jeff Braun is our pickiest uh, eater <laughs> on the panel here. So we have been curious, Jeff. What do you? Do you no. like nachos? I love nachos, and I'll take any kind of chip with any kind of cheese on it. Doesn't bother me at all. It's uh, always a tasty treat. Uh, I have to. I work hard not to eat them as often as I would like to. And my my greatest story. Well, I can't tell you my greatest story about it because it's far too gross for this time of day. But my second greatest <laughs> story about nachos was at a Jets game. The Jets nachos are always good with that cheese sauce and those chips, right? Because they're always nice and warm too. And I bought. I bought some nachos there, but right before I bought the nachos, a brand new sparkling uh, white heritage jersey, which I instantly loved and put on. And as soon as I sat down, I realized, what have I done? I've got this nice white jersey and a nice thing of nachos here with the sauce and stuff. And it was the most paranoid, uh, nervous, anxiety-inducing thing of nachos I ever ate in my life. But I'm proud to say I didn't get any of the cheese on my jersey. Hoorah! Hooray, Jeff! boy, Jeff Braun. Uh, Greg Mackling, what about you? Well, uh, speaking of cheese sauce, you reminded me of being at the game at Yankee Stadium, and New York had just put all the calories beside all the meals at fast food <laughs> establishments, and I noticed that the cup of nacho cheese only had 90 calories, and I thought, I'll have that for lunch. But no, I uh, <laughs> I did not have that for lunch. But here's the thing. Uh, McNabb, I, I, I don't know if you do this at, at home or not, but in the restaurants, they have something called a salamander for heating the nachos, for cooking the nachos. It's like, a, it's like a permanent broiler sort of thing. But if you take the time and you actually put the nachos in the oven three separate times and layer them, so chips, cheese, beef, Put them in the oven. Then do the same thing. Repeat three times. Then you will get that total layer and no uncooked cheese, cheese on every chip. It takes a little longer, but it's worth it. But the best way to have nachos right now, taco in a bag. Taco in a bag. Taco in a bag. Have you had taco in a bag, McGarry? Explain. So it's just uh, whatever your favorite uh, bag of nacho chips is, say uh, Old Dutch Ariba style, ground beef, the taco ground beef, some sour cream, some lettuce, some cheese. And if you like salsa, you put salsa in that and you just mix it around and you eat it right out of the chip bag. And oh. you cut it, cut the bag lengthwise, Brett, correct? So that like it's more, it's, it's more accessible to get all the chips and mix it up. They serve that in rinks everywhere. Now. Everywhere, yeah. Like you can get a five dollar taco in a taco in a bag or bag in a bag taco. What is the actual expression? <laughs> taco in a bag. <laughs> a ba I'll take a bag taco, please. <laughs> we actually had the taco in a bag was sort of the main course at my brother's. I think it was his fortieth birthday because we discovered these things. They're fantastic. Fantastic. Great way to go for a birthday party when we can actually, you know, have people over to our homes again. The picture is slowly becoming clear in the count to determine the winner of the U.S. election, but there is still a long way to go before anything is decided. Yeah, and overnight or somewhere while we were sleeping, the count in the Republican stronghold of Georgia shifted from a Donald Trump lead to a Joe Biden one. This, of course, after the U.S. president took to the airwaves to denounce the count in several key states, repeating false claims that he's being deprived of a second term by fraud, Greg. 
Global's Reggie Cicchini has been working morning, noon, and night to follow the many moving parts. He joins us now. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Looking at uh, Georgia here, less than a thousand votes separating Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Yeah, this is a big move for Democrats who have not had any control of this state uh, since 1992. Uh, and it is because of changing demographics in the metro Atlanta area, as well as through Savannah. Uh, it's also worth pointing out, though, that uh, late House Representative John Lewis, a key figure uh, in the civil rights movement from Georgia uh, that was disparaged by Donald Trump. We now have Donald Trump losing in that state. There are things that are kind of piling up underneath the president, up to and including that that baseless rambling rant uh, that the president went on from the podium yesterday that has been widely panned by members of his own party. And that's what we were going to ask you about. What is his party saying about that? Well, look, the majority of, of the GOP are standing against what the president said. We have to point this out Clearly, there are no widespread uh, conspiracies or efforts to undermine election integrity in the United States, with the exception of what the president is trafficking in conspiracy theories. Outside of that, the GOP is pushing back. The governor of Maryland, Utah Senator Mitt Romney, several House representatives, with the exception of the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and uh, Senate Judiciary Chair Lindsey Graham, both on Fox News last night, standing with the president, not able to provide evidence of what the president was talking about, but actively calling on Americans to to give them proof so that they can push the president's uh, claims further. This is simply turning American democracy on itself. It's turning Americans potentially on one another too, Reggie, which I know was a big fear leading up to this. Even Donald Trump Jr. tweeting out this morning that the best thing for America's future is for the Donald Trump to go to total war over this election to expose all of the fraud, cheating, dead, no longer in state voters that has been going on for far too long. How's that going over in terms of any protests that may, may have led to or possible violence? Because that is a question that's been, I was feeling last night, oh gosh, what is that going to do to incite more hatred, so to speak, in the general public? Well, I can tell you this. In Arizona, uh, some of our colleagues at NBC who are in Maricopa County uh, are now being uh, distanced away from some of the election centers and the reporters that are still on scene are now wearing bulletproof vests. That is the uh, sense of fear that is inside America right now because of these theories that are being pushed by the president, members of his family, uh, and members of the Republican Party. Uh, there have been instances in Virginia where people have been uh, uh, apprehended uh, in Pennsylvania. They were Virginians apprehended in Pennsylvania uh, for being armed and approaching polling stations. This, this is a crisis in this country that is being pushed to the brink by the president uh, and his his inability to accept the fact that votes are being counted in legal fashion across the country in time frames that have been set up by, uh, in often cases, Republican legislatures inside the states. This is, this is a dangerous moment for the United States. Reggie, a, a lot of people wondering if the, if the major networks uh, should have carried Donald Trump's message last night. So this has been a, a question that's come up uh, time and time again. Uh, this is not the first time that the president has been cut off by the major networks. This happened all throughout the uh, when he was holding those so-called coronavirus task force meetings where he would get up and, and peddle baseless conspiracies or baseless comments that were not grounded in any kind of fact. And networks would pull away until the doctors approached the podium. Last night, the, the networks gave the president a few minutes. He had an opportunity to come out uh, and, and talk about what was happening. Also, we need to point out here, I know I'm running up against a clock, but the president was talking from the White House in a campaign style. That's a violation of several acts, uh, including the Hatch Act. But number two, he, he was he was pushing information that was just incorrect, undermining election integrity and putting American democracy at risk. And networks pulled away because it was not doing anything to calm the tensions or nerves in this country. But it also was just not doing anything uh, of value for Americans who are then feeling that their vote that's they that they cast uh may simply be baseless. So networks pulled away. Some people are criticizing it, and some people are saying, put the president on if he's going to tell the truth. Reggie, before we let you go, we've told you that uh, we appreciate how hard you work and everything that you bring to our airwaves, uh, yesterday, you know, especially with your 172 minutes of sleep and your microwave nachos and your pomegranate Pop-Tarts. Uh, we know that you are burning the candle at both ends. But yesterday we asked the question, who have some of your favorite broadcasters been over the years? And one of our listeners, one of our most loyal listeners who calls himself Kevin the Garbage Man, texted to say, Reggie Cicchini has been my favorite political broadcaster during this U.S. election. So we just wanted to share that to 
let you know that uh, your hard work isn't just appreciated by us, but it's also appreciated by our audience. You're a big member of our family, so we just wanted to let you know that uh, you are seen as a pretty cool guy, man. So thanks for I, I really appreciate that, and I will head downstairs now to my scoop of peanut butter and craft single. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, before we introduce our next guest who has something very exciting and important happening tonight, we do want to read some more feedback that we are getting at 204-780-6868 regarding our teachers. Yeah, we got a good morning, guys. I'm not a teacher, but I am a caregiver for the children of school teachers. Two of my closest friends whose children I care for are teachers, so I felt compelled to speak up for them. They're on the verge of breakdowns, going day and night with class prep, report cards, emailing families, rearranging classrooms, and the list goes on, most times until well into the wee hours of the morning. These teachers are being expected to teach their own classes, prep, and also act as subs to other classes within the school. Plus, they also have to teach the students who are online learning as well as all the while, pardon me, having classrooms of 25 kids to look after, make sure they are masked, etc., etc. Both of those incredible women have young children who depend on them, but by day's end, it's a miracle if they can make dinner and make it through bedtime stories. This listener goes on to say that one of their friends broke down in tears on my driveway yesterday. She arrived two minutes before my pickup time cut off and was totally frazzled to the point she's contemplating leaving her career. Imagine being so overwhelmed and exhausted you question your job, your parenting, and your self-worth. All I can do is offer comforting words, and since we can't hug, we usually end up crying together and giving air hugs. This morning, I sent each of my teacher friends off with homemade goodies to help brighten their Friday a bit and show them they are appreciated and loved, even if they don't feel like it on the daily. These men and women are truly our heroes, along with our healthcare workers. Teachers are a huge part of our children's life, and the impact they have can be everlasting. And they go on to say that they pray that one day they will look back on this, and it will be a mere memory, and they can continue on with their careers in helping shape little and big minds. And as we continue to see steady numbers of COVID-19 cases in Winnipeg hospitals, you mentioned healthcare workers there, Loren, there is a movement to shift the conversation to appreciation with an en masse event this evening, Greg. Now, we will pronounce the name of this initiative to honour frontline healthcare workers in our province very slowly. <laughs> POTS for Docs takes place tonight. One letter missing could change the entire message. You may have been uh, seen or uh, in, interacted with considerable chatter about this on your social media. We want to turn the social media attention to broader awareness for tonight's endeavor, Loren. And Ollie, Ollie Backstrom is one of our community leaders who has been drumming up support for this event and joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so appreciative of what's happening here because I think this is a great way to end what's been a very difficult week for so many. How did this get started? What was, What's behind all this? Well, Wednesday evening, you know, I was out for my uh, stress walk processing the news of the day. <laughs> and um, I just tweeted out, um, you know, I think we're going to have to have one big, I'm not sure if I can say the word that I it was on radio, but a big pot banging evening in support of our Manitoba doctors sometime soon. And it was just something I threw out there, but it... Um, picked up traction pretty quickly. <laughs> and I realized my first thought was, wow, I, you know, I wonder who will do that. Who, maybe someone will pull that together and organize it. And I realized, I, I think that someone, I better take the lead on this, uh, seize the moment. Uh, one of the people who responded positively was uh, someone I know on Twitter is Dr. Media Pro. And so I know he's a graphic designer and I just DM'd him and said, hey, could you whip up a graphic? And so within um, two hours of that initial tweet, uh, Pot for Docs <laughs> was uh, pushed out. And, uh, you know, a few of us talked, what, what would be a good date and time? Friday at 7 o'clock. Okay, that's what we're doing. And that's what got pushed out. How, what's the intention here? Where are we supposed to do this? How do we get involved? The intention is to our doctors and all healthcare workers that we hear them, we trust them, 
We don't question their motivations if they are expressing concerns, and we appreciate them. And so Friday uh, tonight, 7 p.m., it can be on your front step or in your yard. We'd love to have people come out uh, with their biggest, most resonant pots and make some noise for our doctors and healthcare workers to let them know how much we appreciate their work. We saw stuff like this uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic where people were making noise from their balconies, where you were making noise outside of hospitals, etc. But, well, you know, what, I mean, I, I gather it was, was it the health minister's comments that uh, generated this idea for you to revisit something like this? Yeah, you know, I think of the doctors and healthcare workers, they are in the fight of their life. And uh, lives and deaths are on the line every day. And um, I can't imagine how much stress they are currently under. And for them to hear that their motivations are questioned if they express concern, um, I just wanted that, them to let them know and to give other like-minded Manitobans a chance to let them know we don't question their motivation and we support them 100%. So we're to step outside, 7 p.m., bang on our pots What's your hope in terms of, you know, how many people might get involved? Because the reaction on social media, at least, has been tremendous. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see how many people just take those few seconds to to show their support tonight. I'm hoping blocks are completely resonating. I saw Mayor Bowman tweeted it out, uh, so I appreciate his support. This is, an, this is a nonpartisan event. I hope that uh, people from all, all parties are tweeting this out, and I hope people from all uh uh, parties or uh, people from all kinds of perspectives are out banging their loudest drum tonight. Oli, thanks for this. Thanks for what you do regularly because you are genuinely uh, a, a community leader based on what you do every single day in your occupation. And for those that don't know what you do, give us a little plug for the incredible work that you that you do for for individuals that need a little bit of a helping hand getting into the workforce. Sure. I'm CEO of SCE LifeWorks here in Winnipeg, and we help Manitobans with intellectual disabilities and autistic uh, uh, Manitobans find and find employment in the community, find their valued place in the community. Oh, how did they get a hold of you with that? Uh, 204-775-9402, or hit me up with a DM on my Twitter. <laughs> Happy to talk to anyone interested in diversifying their workforce. Ollie Backstrom joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk pots for docs. Ollie, thank you for the time. Much appreciated, sir. Thanks so much. Once again, 7 p.m. tonight, pots for docs. But we do want to continue as well our conversation that we've started this morning, Loren, on teachers. Yeah, we're getting so many texts and we're asking for feedback because, of course, the Manitoba Teachers Society came out yesterday and said many of its teachers are... are its teachers are feeling burnout, that they're looking for more resources. And so we're asking what can be done for help. We've got an ask into the education minister in terms of what conversations are taking place to help our teachers through this tumultuous time. We, we just heard a clip in the news run from Alan Campbell. He's, of course, with the Manitoba School Boards Association. And he said divisions aren't identifying money per se, is the issue in terms of that there's not necessarily an ask for more dollars, it's bodies. It's bodies that's a problem right now. It's people. It's the resources of staff because if one teacher calls in sick and more are because of COVID um, rules or they might just be getting sick, period, then there's that problem of, of... of finding enough substitute teachers to step in. Then there's also the issue of the classes being split up, guys, right? A lot of the classes had to split into different rooms, and the teachers are going back and forth between rooms. Then you throw in remote learning if they're doing remote learning. And from what all accounts we're hearing this morning, teachers are stressed. This is coming from one school worker. At my school, teachers are breaking down in tears daily, they write. The expectations of us is overwhelming. My colleagues are going home at 6 p.m. and so exhausted that they fall asleep More and more is asked of us and nothing is taken off our plate. The remote teaching and classroom teaching is too much for anyone to handle, Greg. Also got a text here uh, saying, I'm hoping hoping this is the text line. Yes, you found us. I am an elementary school teacher and I second the comment about teachers being like lambs to slaughter to keep the economy going with zero support from Pallister. We are muzzled and we are not allowed to strike. No one wants to lose their job. That said, there's so many things wrong with the school system and with no support, we are falling apart. 
I eat my lunch in my car. My classroom is gone, and now I teach in the gym with other classrooms and gym mats separating us. Meanwhile, we feel Premier Pallister will begin making fundamental changes to the education system while no one is looking. We are too distracted by the pandemic and just surviving day to day while he is not spending a dime to get more substitutes or mental health supports. We had eight members of staff away yesterday, and myself and other colleagues had to cover multiple classrooms. Educational assistants are stretched thin, going from cohort to cohort to cover absences. There's much more here. I'll just wind it up with this. If a single staff member is away, we are stretched thin. Never mind eight. Oh, and K-3 students, students don't have to wear a mask. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, our weekly Gab with Gabby, coming up after Global News at 9 o'clock. And she's gonna, one of the things she's going to talk about is National Nacho Day. And we are in the process of updating our question of the day at CJOB.com, which is going to be, we decided, let's just make it a fun one. So the question is going to be, which do you prefer on your nachos? Cheese sauce or melted cheese? But Greg, I'm just wondering out loud here, should we add a third option? Like? Would the th- the third option could simply be both? <laughs> yes, like both together. Should it yes. be both at the same time yes. or both together? Let's be bold. Okay, let's give people a third option. Yeah. Oh my word! Because I'd be down with cheese sauce and melted cheese. Why not? Well, I'm thinking about that incredible taco bar we used to have at Chi-Chi's in the lounge once upon a time. Yeah, and that chili con queso, and you just dump it all over. Then you put the sprinkle. Yes. Both is an option. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And guess what? If you win the HSC Millionaire Lottery, then you're going to be able to enjoy lots and lots of nachos, and you're going to be hearing about this all day on our radio station. Tonight at midnight is the early bird deadline to get tickets for the Health Sciences Centre Foundation HSC Millionaire Lottery. Oh, very nicely said, Brett. You can check the website, hscmillionaire.com, to see all the prizes and Purchase tickets there. Milt Stiegel, he's in Atlanta, Georgia, and I will speak with him throughout the afternoon about his love of Winnipeg, his son Colin's Canadian passport, and the conversations Milt Stiegel has about health care in what he calls his other home. That's here, that's Winnipeg, with his American friends and family. You don't want to miss that as we make our way through the afternoon. But this morning, we want to discuss the whys for the lottery. Jonathan Lyon is the president and CEO of the HSC Foundation, and he joins us now. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, been quite the week between the American election, our COVID-19 numbers, and uh, can we just start with something serious here? We'll have some fun at the end of this conversation. We'll get your nacho advice here. But are we in the middle of the largest test of the healthcare system that, that you've ever seen, either in your lifetime or in your role as president and CEO of the foundation? I, I think the answer is probably a little too obvious. It is actually quite obvious. This is a challenging time. For all of us with the global pandemic, I was listening to your newscast and you talked about, I think, 16 in the intensive care unit, 16 COVID patients in the province. I believe 10 of them are are at HSC and 40 other patients with COVID at the HSC. And it's a really challenging, difficult time for all of us and all of our loved ones and anyone. I know a number of people whose family members have uh, unfortunately had COVID and uh, I am fortunate all of them have had uh, positive outcomes in that respect but it's a really stressful difficult time and for those frontline people to uh, our healthcare heroes at HSC uh, you know we just that's why we do what we do that's why we raise money that's what motivates me every day and that's why we do things like the HSC millionaire lottery because we need to be there to support those men and women who are there for us at this incredibly difficult time in our lifetime. Well, and you posted, uh, the HSC Millionaire Lottery posted on social media that, uh, you know, it was a picture of a mask with the words, thank you, and we can't do this without you. And I think these lotteries are an important reminder, uh, Jonathan, that that the government doesn't fund everything. It's not entirely funded that you can, you know, yes, obviously healthcare is heavily funded by government, but a lot of it comes from contributions from generous Manitobans. 
Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you know, this week alone, uh, in discussions with leadership of the hospital, uh, because, you know, on a minute's notice, we've gone from to code red, and then they've had to restrict visitors uh, to HSC. So we turned on uh, television monitors and internet at no charge to the patients, because there's a lot of patients in there, some with COVID and others with, you know, other illnesses, and they can't have access to their loved ones. So we've said let's turn this on for the next uh, you know period of time while we're in this situation so we're funding that we're funding uh, new equipment that's going to go into the intensive care unit you know again government can't do it all these are needs that have just developed and we're dealing with the medical leadership on a daily basis and we can identify things and we can move quickly and what allows us to do that is having resources from things like our hsc millionaire lottery that allows us to move in a timely way to make these investments so that they're there for us now. We need investments now, key investments, and we're able to, through the foundation, help make that happen through the generosity of Manitobans. We've discussed this for years and the ability of the foundation to move up some of the priority projects, whether it be a, an area of specialty uh, with regard to medical care in the hospital, John, or, or maybe create an area of excellence with regard to research, or it's just it's frontline equipment that docs, doctors and nurses and support staff are saying, hey, we could really use X, Y, or Z, and the foundation looking at it and saying, yeah, you know what, this is a worthwhile investment. We're going to bump it up on the priority list. Those priority lists are, are you know, from the sounds of things, uh, the items on those, those lists are, are growing by the day. Yeah, there's no question. Listen, as Manitoba's hospital, there is incredible need. We have at the HSC the sickest patients in the province. And when you have the sickest patients, you need the talent. Uh, so we need to be able to attract talent. And we can attract the talent to tend to us when we're sick by having state-of-the-art facilities, uh, investments in technology, investments in research. And that is what we're able to do, um, again, through lottery. And that's why the need... The need is only growing. The uh, opportunities are incredible for Manitobans to take part, and we can change healthcare. We can deliver tomorrow's healthcare today through strategic investments that our donors and our lottery supporters help make every day. The fact that the you know it's almost ninety percent sold, two hundred thousand dollar early bird bonus, including a one hundred and fifty thousand dollar cash option. The fact that this is almost ninety percent sold already in the middle of a pandemic, does that surprise you that uh, the generosity, the outpouring of generosity from Manitobans? You know, Manitobans, it's, we're known nationally as being uh, per capita the most generous people in the country. So it, it doesn't surprise me. I'm always heartwarmed by it, though. And Manitobans have stepped up this year in significant ways, and they will continue to because we care about each other and we want the best for each other. And we don't want our neighbours and our friends to suffer and we know in a time of need, we pull together, and there's no greater thing than healthcare that we need to pull together on. And this global pandemic is showing that for all of us. And Manitobans are rallying, and I'm so thankful and appreciative to be a Manitoban and to have the support of all the Manitobans that we do through our lottery and our donations and other venues. And again, for our frontline healthcare heroes who are there for us, I just want to say thank you to them as well. And John, you experienced this firsthand with your with your parents and uh, the life-saving care that they received. I've mentioned the fact that my mom spent uh, her la- uh, last hours of her life at HSC, and although things didn't go the way they want, we were absolutely blown away by the, the care that she received. But you and I are uh, almost the exact same age, and we are unfortunately are getting at the point either where we might need the healthcare system, but we've both lost people in our in our sphere over the last couple of years far too young. And so that's where healthcare research comes in, in my mind. And, and that should uh, have people in their late 40s, in their 50s, in their early 60s, where, you know, a lot of times we're, we're gifted or fortunate enough to have good health. But, but things can turn quite unexpectedly and sometimes incredibly quickly. Yeah, there's no question about it. You and I are living that through a number of friends. Um, who we've had to say goodbye to in uh, recent times. And again, uh, that's why, I mean, this was a a profound experience to me when my parents rolled their vehicle in 2002 and life-changing. And now I just see the continuum of it. As we get older, you know, we have our own medical issues. Our families have their own medical issues. Our friends do. And uh, ultimately, you know, what I'm seeing 
Uh, and I hear it literally every day about friends, loved ones, people I know who rely on the Health Sciences Centre. We all need the HSC. HSC needs us. We need to be here to support it as Manitoba's hospital. And uh, we can make vital uh, investments in innovative care that is going to benefit us all through things as simple as buying a lottery ticket. It makes a difference and it has impact. 204-253-5688 is the phone number. That's 204-253-5688 or hscmillionaire.com. A Manitoban will become a millionaire in one way, shape or form. Jonathan Lyon, thank you so much for the time this morning, sir. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, and double cheese on those nachos. Double cheese, attaboy! The nacho <laughs> cheese and the melted cheese. Jonathan Lyon is the president and CEO of the HSC Foundation. By the way, the 50-50, record-setting pace. It's over $1.1 million, and I'm just looking at hscmillionaire.com at these grand prizes, and the first one out of the gate, Greg, is this uh, tuxedo Assiniboine Park home mm-hmm. at 110 Chataway. And just, it is... Just the driveway alone is beautiful. I don't know what you call that that sort of interlocking. You would know the terminology probably. It's got this like interlocking brick almost. That's exactly what it is. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely spectacular. Uh, they're working on that home right now. And one of the prizes in the early bird is a $200,000 renovation credit from Merrick Homes. Merrick Homes did the renovation on the last HSC Millionaire home in Tuxedo. So could you imagine them coming into your house and, uh, you know, doing a $200,000 renovation? Uh, That's worth more than 200 grand, if you ask me. Yeah, that is an amazing prize. There are so many great prizes, so many great grand prizes, six grand prize options, hscmillionaire.com. One of those grand prizes includes 1.2 million in cash. Tax-free. Oh, tax-free cash. But our question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. We were debating whether or not we should do it on the election or if we should do it on teachers. And then we thought, you know what? It's Friday. Let's have some fun. So that's written right into the question. Let's have some fun today. It's National Nacho Day. Which do you prefer on your nachos? Cheese sauce, melted cheese, or both? And so far, so far, it's it's tied across the board, 33.33% for each. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. <laughs> and the reason why this is our question of the day is we have learned, thanks to Gabrielle Marchand, host of Global News Morning, that today is, in fact, National Nacho Day. This is an important day on your calendar, isn't it, Gabby? Yeah, I've been making memories about this day for years. Something popped up on my Facebook from five years ago where I was holding a cheese grater and a bag of chips <laughs> at work because I'm just so dedicated to This is my holiday being 90% chip. <laughs> human, 90% chip. But I mean, we had a chef on today from Bothwell Cheese, Chef John Scarcella. He put little quesadillas in between the nacho layers. Think about that, everyone. Mm -hmm. Blow your mind. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's like chips, then mini quesadillas, and then more chips? So you're taking little bites of quesadilla that are smushed between nacho chips. But there is also the cheese, and then he put chorizo. Imagine that. Mm. Johnny Scarcella is one of the great guys in the restaurant business. He used to run the kitchen at Earl's on Main years ago. I've known John for, oh gosh, I don't even want to say. I think it's 30 years now. (laughs) And uh, the stuff that he can do with cheese now that he works for Bothwell is absolutely incredible. I I need to see this video. Where does it live? It will live on our website shortly, globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg. But I have to ask you guys, uh, regardless of how you eat your nachos, I always find every time I buy nachos, ingredients it's like $40 later like <laughs> yes. I think it's cheaper to get them from a restaurant it's honestly not. than to make them no 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 and they're not there are lots of restaurants that do a good job with regard to nachos but Loren you had a text exchange with one of our listeners right the whole idea that sometimes you go to a restaurant and you go really you messed these up like no you need to do it at home this is a yeah. home 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 construction project well, Alan texted to say, I've been disappointed so many times with my nachos order. Seriously? How can you screw up nachos? The best are made with at home with high-quality cheese on good-quality chips, adding, of course, your favorite toppings. And, yes, there are plenty of restaurants who do them right. But because it's so it's such a basic thing, you, know, you layer some cheese in between the chips, and then you just throw on whatever you want, 
it is frustrating when they come to your table and you're like, how is the cheese not even melted here? Like, it, that's 101. Melt the cheese. That's it. That's pretty much all you got to do. Do you have a particular tortilla chip that you like, Gabby? Because there are so many different kinds and brands and styles and textures. I, uh, I like a thicker chip for sure. I'm open to all chips, really. I've also done them with Doritos, which is incredible. Uh, talking of nachos that got screwed up, one time at a little hotel bar in Thunder Bay. And so, I mean, hotel bar, really small. And they had great food. But they did nachos with only mozzarella, no cheddar. So grated mozzarella, green olives, and nothing else. And I've never been more disappointed. I, I think that was actually a salt overload for a human who loves salt. So that's saying something. Green olives. And that's, do you think that they were just out of ingredients? And it's like, what can we put on these cheese? And we got some olives. So let's go with that. Maybe it's a Thunder Bay thing. I'm not sure you guys. Oh, okay. Well, perhaps it is a Thunder Bay delicacy. Because isn't it Thunder Bay that, uh, is it Thunder Bay that has the Persians? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Because they didn't. Uh, who brought those? Dawn. Someone was passing. Dawn was passing mm. through Thunder Bay and brought us some Persians. That's right. I had never heard of them until then. No. Oh, so maybe this is another one. So we'll have to investigate that. Now, uh, another one of the topics you discussed this week on Global News Morning, I believe you were going to discuss this: animals you respect versus animals you don't. This is controversial, you guys, and let me know what you think. Canadian geese, I just don't have time for them. I'm not a sociopath, so I'm not going out and mowing them down out there. I respect them when they cross the road and I let them pass, but I just feel like they do whatever they want. They poop everywhere. They hiss at everyone. I'm like, why are you so curmudgeonly? What is going on in your life that you are so crusty, Canada geese? So we had a conversation about this, and I'd love to hear what you guys think, if there are animals that really frustrate you. Loren, go. Now that you mention it, when I see too many geese, it depends on how many are there. Like, if I see one or two, I'm okay with it. But then, you know, at this time of year when they're congregating around all the, the lakes and retention ponds, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say out loud the one that I don't get because I will be probably have to hire security to come to my house and protect me. But let's just say it's the opposite of a dog. <laughs> the opposite of a dog. Strong hint there. I like that. Meow. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I hate geese. I hate them. I love animals, but geese—they're—they're uh, they're flying vermin. They—they're a blight. They are always in the way, as you pointed out. And this is obviously because I golf, and they're on every golf course I visit, and there's poop everywhere. But even just walking home, like walking through the legislative grounds, the sidewalks are still. I haven't seen a goose there for probably over a week, but the sidewalks are stained. They've been cleaned, but they're stained with the goose poop. It's just they—they're the worst. And the, the way that they sometimes set up shop, like uh, when we were at Polo Park, they set up shop in the, like the, the plant uh, or the planters, like right beside, yes. it was Marshall's, yes. I Marshall's. think. Marshall's, yeah. They had that goose with the egg. He had laid, she had laid an egg and then nobody was going near that sidewalk for like weeks. Well, they nest in the same spot every year. So at New Flyer, when I worked there years ago, Every spring, you had the same pair of geese would come back and they'd set up shop, as you say, Brett, in the parking lot. I've seen them in the middle of parking lots that have gone basically sort of from an open field to a parking lot down by Lux Barbecue on Keniston. They had a, a, for two years, they had a goose that would, there was a puddle, it lived in this puddle. It wasn't just a once in a while thing, that was its home, it had claimed its territory and everybody just knew to avoid yeah. that puddle because, uh, that yeah, don't park there because uh, the goose, that's where he lives, that's his house. I will say I, that I find it fascinating that geese do that every year because every year at Polo Park, that was always like, that That was the signal spring was here. The, the two geese had come back. They were like the sentinels of the Polo Park shopping center, uh, even though they would hiss at you if you got anywhere near them. So go away, geese, as far as I'm concerned. I'm glad Loren brought up their gang activity because when they hang out in big groups, terrifying. It is. It's and you know, It's almost like I'm in awe of it. Like I slow right down. Oh, my God. Look at all the geese. Like, as if I'm imagining a scenario where they're plotting against us. You know? It happened. Like Alfred Hitchcock told us it happened. Sure. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, what do these uh, geese have to be so miserable about? They get to go away for the winter. <laughs> they go to the best golf courses in Georgia and Florida and Texas. And, I mean, they are hated in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Like, they cannot stand Canadian geese. So then when they come home to their home and native land,
land where they're protected somewhat. They should be happy yeah. to see us, but they give us this impression that they're better than us. I, I think it's because they don't all get there. Just because you're have, on money doesn't make you better than us, buddy. <laughs> because I, I just today was uh, looking outside and all these geese were flying the wrong way. Like they always seem to take off and go north. And so I don't know if all of them get to where they want to go. I think that's part of the problem. And so they're miserable when they come back. They're like, ugh. Wasn't I just here? Like, how do I? Did, where to south? I think that's the problem. They are pooping they all over this continent. What do they have to be miserable about? Mm-hmm. And one final thing, Gabby, before we go, we discussed uh, favorite broadcasters this week, and you've got a funny story. I was obsessed as a child with Lloyd Robertson. I think because I had Farmer Vision, so I only got CTV and CBC. That's all I could watch. Used to watch Lloyd Robertson every night, and I used to tell kids at school that he was my grandfather. And my mom had to tell me, like, this is a lie. You don't know Lloyd. It's creepy. Stop telling kids he's your granddad because he is not. But I feel like he would embrace, like, knowing Lloyd. I mean, not knowing Lloyd, but I feel like I know Lloyd. He would embrace me in his fold. How did you explain the the last name thing? Oh, I mean, I think I was like six or seven, so I probably didn't explain anything. You didn't think about that, did you? Gabby Marshawn. Oh, go ahead, Loren. I just wanted to know, did you ever get to meet him along the way? No, but I followed him. I kind of wanted that crazy story of you approaching him and calling him grandpa and seeing where that got you. (laughs) Grandpa Lloyd, I'm your long-lost granddaughter. (laughs) Security. (laughs) Gabrielle Marshawn, she is the host of Global News Morning. Joins us live on 680 CJOB every Friday just after 9 o'clock. Our weekly Gab with Gabby. Gabby, thank you very much and enjoy the nachos. Happy Friday. I mentioned a few days ago that I was having a hard time finding a poppy and a bunch of listeners weighed in saying, yep, they're everywhere now because I had looked this past weekend and the store I was in did not have poppies. So I went back on Monday, found a place with poppies and then realized I had no cash. I thought I had five bucks on me, but I didn't. So I asked, is this one of the places with the tap boxes? They said, no, it's cash only. So I couldn't in good conscience take a poppy. Although Greg... Maybe I'm wrong in this. Do they, do they say it's still okay to take one even if you don't have cash? I have heard that. I oh. think that's the that's the sort of the mandate is that's more important. And then I suppose you could double up your donation because it is based on donate donation, right? It's, there's no set price, right. really. So, Loren, have you got any knowledge on that? I think you. Could, I think the goal is to get as many people acknowledging our veterans and wearing the poppies as possible. So it's always just the suggestion to donate. I don't think anyone feels good about just taking a poppy, though. So I would argue that I don't. I don't even know if I've ever even seen that before. But I, I think in the end, if if your goal is to support by showing support, then I, I we'd have to double check with the Legion. But I think they really just want people to wear the poppies. And then, of course, the fundraiser is an important part for legions across this country and there is a set price i think on those pay it was two um, bucks two bucks yeah for those boxes if you're using your debit card or your credit card on on those that pilot program that they were doing so that's that's different than in years past but good because you know then you're just tapping anyway so if you're throwing over two bucks i think most of us try to get in a couple loonies anyway gone are the days when you're dropping in a quarter or a dime i hope but you know that's what i ended up doing because i so i i didn't take the poppies i just i couldn't do it in good conscience and then i remembered oh i think they may have said to us before that it's okay Mm -hmm. uh because they're they're like that you're going to see a poppy box somewhere down the road. You, then you can throw in some money. Sure. So that's what I did. I went home and I scrounged. I went into my golf bag because that's where I keep all my change from all the, the, all the drinks I buy on the golf course, all the healthy beverages, Gatorades and such. But uh, I was out. I was out of change because I had been using it to tip our ca- the cabbies that take me to work in the morning. So I had nothing, but I did find like a, a, a cup full of dimes and nickels. So I felt kind of bad bringing in like four bucks worth of dimes and nickels. But I went down to the gas station and got my poppies so that I could wear them. So I grabbed three because I always lose at least one. And then I grabbed two others so that I could wear one on my jacket and one on whatever sweater or shirt I'm wearing at work. So I'm wearing one right now at work. And the idea that I would be told by my employer, Loren, take that off, I just find absurd, offensive, preposterous, Insert whatever Jackie Childs term you want here. It's it's ridiculous. 
Yeah, and the reason why we're talking about this this morning is there's different stories coming from different parts of this country. I referenced one earlier from Czech News in Vancouver. That's an independent station. There are uh, outlets in Ottawa that are reporting employees at Whole Foods in Ottawa have been told to take off their poppy and statements coming from the store owner or I guess coming from the store on its policies, basically, it's about a it's about a dress code that comes down to, and it's a unified policy to follow when working in all our stores. And like many of its policies, it says its job is to ensure operational safety of its employees and serve our customers by keeping the focus in our stores on selling highest quality food. I'm not sure how the poppy would take away from that focus. I, I think there's more to this. They they go on to say that they give. $8,000 uh, to the Poppy campaign this year and that they will continue to do that and that their employees also are given two minutes to give a moment of silence at 11 a.m. on the 11th. So it's it's not like they're anti-Remembrance Day, but there certainly sounds like they have a no Poppy policy. And as we work to get more details, I we're asking the question, what would you do if this was your stance by your employer that you weren't allowed to wear that Poppy at work. Um, this is not going to go down well for the store. I can say that. That's for sure. Look, if you're standing over a giant pot of soup as part of your daily routine, I could understand why they might not want you wearing a poppy because then the poppy could fall into the soup. So for your back of house uh, to use and, and uh, to, to borrow restaurant jargon, that's probably not the way you want to operate. I get that. And we know that under COVID times, there are stores that have had to remove their buffet-style, self-serve-style chicken, chicken fingers. I know over at Save on Foods, they've got the, they used to have the soup station and all the chicken wings and chicken fingers. Well, you can't do that anymore. So the chance of the poppy falling into there, that's been completely eliminated. I'm trying really hard because uh, 20 minutes ago when... We discussed this initially. I I was pretty angry about it, and I am, and I am trying to find another side to this, and I'm sorry. I just cannot find one. Is it possible that if if it comes to safety, is it possible they're just trying to... This is, and this could be, this is a stretch, but and they're just trying to prevent their employees from stabbing themselves with these poppies. Because, for example, when I went to put on my jacket this morning, I scratched myself with the poppy. And I know you can put on little stoppers or whatever to prevent that. But is it possible at all that it's just to get, make sure that their employees have no way to harm themselves somehow with these poppies? Am I, am I being too far-fetched, too generous here, Loren? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but, I, but I appreciate your efforts. I mean, I get what you're saying. Yes, we've all had that moment where we've stabbed ourselves. I think what this is about, and I'm, I'm curious if this has just come up this year, if there's been some sort of change, because we haven't heard this before, but the statement from Whole Foods and some of the stories I'm reading, and, and right now this one's from Toronto Sun, it says, with the exception of those items required by law, our dress code policy prohibits any additions to our standard uniform. So I'm wondering if that standard policy is about preventing all sorts of additions and that somebody's come forward and said, well, if I wasn't allowed to wear this, but someone's allowed to wear their poppy, and now there's some sort of internal HR challenge going on, and so they're just taking a hard line on this? That That's the only thing I could think of, because, again, we haven't heard this before in previous lead-ups to Remembrance Day. This is a first, as far as I'm aware, for this grocery chain. So I feel like someone somewhere challenged them on this with something else. You know, I, I want to wear a bikini at work or I don't know, like <laughs> over top of my uniform or a fur coat. And then they say, well, no, you can't. That's a dress code poppy. Well, why does so-and-so get to wear a poppy? Like I, I can't figure out what, how they got here. I really can't. Make it part of the uniform then. Put it in the dress code that from November 1st until noon at, uh, at noon on November 11th, you shall wear a poppy. And then if any employees come forward and have a problem with that, deal with those one-on-one as opposed to flipping the script on this and eliminating all things and then taking away the opportunity to honour our veterans and our war dead as the poppy does. It's despicable. You have to find a way, the, the, a way around this. This is not going to be good for business. You know, the, you mentioned Seinfeld and Jackie Childs. You know, when uh, Seth shakes the rat hat in the middle of the Kenny Rogers roaster yep. and he says, 
That's not going to be good for business. Guess what? This isn't going to be good for business at Whole Foods either. And I will remind you, Whole Foods is owned by Amazon. Amazon. And just to follow up on what we're saying here, a listener just texted and says, perhaps they have a policy that nothing like a cancer ribbon or a political badge can be worn, including poppies. I don't think they're picking on veterans. And that might be the case. It might be just as we said. They have some sort of policy saying you can't wear anything that would show support for anything. You can't but, support anything. Support Say nothing. that again. Say it really slow. You can't support anything. Support nothing mm. except for good quality food. <laughs> In other words, hand your life over to Whole Foods. It's not the type of food. It's it's whole and then in brackets, whole life. Give us our your whole life foods and your whole paycheck to buy the food. Here. Oh, nah, I better stop. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not getting it. I... I have a feeling that in the next few hours, something will shift with this. Like you said, Greg, they could have adjusted the policy. And this listener just responded saying, hey, I'm not saying it's a good policy. I'm just saying that may be the policy. <laughs> yes, yes. We are all trying to give somehow, some way, Whole Foods the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Brett McGarry even goes as far to invoke... The idea of employee safety. God bless you, <laughs> Brett McGarry. Well, and that to be fair, part of the reason why I thought of that is I am clumsy and I have stabbed myself with these poppies. So if you're working in a grocery store, you know, you're carrying stock, whatever, maybe. But again, I, I know it was far-fetched and the uh, this is just ridiculous. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.